If we've not met before, my name is Ed, and with a whole lot of other people, I have the privilege of pastoring this church and being a part of the team that leads it. Um, and I'm married to uh, the wonderful Jessica, my wife, um, and she, she's obviously my wife because I'm married to her. Um, but she uh, and I lead this church together, and we have two beautiful, wonderful, tenacious daughters called Phoebe and Zoe. Um, and yeah, we have a kind of connection with this city, with this place. Um, I arrived here as a fresher in 2009, which earlier today, one of the other students, the current students, referred to me as a dinosaur because of. Um, but I arrived as a fresher in 2009. My parents dropped me off in Old Lafrauda and set me up in my room. And from that moment, there was just something about Exeter that I fell in love with, something about this place and, and the people and the, and the community and, and the, the area that we were in that I absolutely loved. And I've kind of held on to that forever and ever and ever. I think if we got a little picture of me and Jess um, in, our, in our uni days, have we got that? Yeah, there we are. I know what you're thinking. I haven't changed at all. Um, that's a joke. I've changed a lot, but my wife hasn't changed at all, which is amazing. Um, that was us in my freshers, no, not my freshers kitchen, my third year kitchen in my house um, when we first met and we were dating. Um, but I love this city. You can take the photo down now because it's embarrassing. Um, <laughs> I love this city. I love the things about it and the place about it. And, and from that point of my life, I just kind of felt this connection with Exeter. Like I always wanted to come back and be here. And um, I spent the next eight years after graduating working um, in and around London and doing various different jobs working for churches. But I always wanted to be back here. I always wanted God to call us and to bring us back to Exeter. And then in 2019, I got a phone call from the then Bishop of Exeter. And he said, um, hey, do you want to come down to, well, he didn't say it like this, but he was like, say, hey, do you want to come down to Exeter? And do you want to take on a church that uh, might otherwise be at risk of being closed? And uh, do you want to see if you can bring new life into it? Do you want to bring a group of people and see if you can turn this church around and make it a church that blesses the wider city, but also which plants into areas uh, beyond itself and to reach people who would never, otherwise come to church and we jumped at that opportunity and here we are now and almost exactly four years uh, later I'm standing here looking out at your beautiful faces thinking God can do impossible things God can make our dreams and our visions and our hopes for our lives become realities when we allow him to, to take the things that we most care about, he can do those things. And so we came and in 2019, we replanted this church and we dreamt that it would be a place where those with questions and those with doubts and those exploring faith could uh, find home and be safe in this place. We dreamt that it would be a place where families and kids would, would be welcome, where there would be the next generation and we would pass on the baton of faith and, and following Jesus to them. We dreamt that it would be a, a place that not only kind of stayed inside itself and and stayed in, in, inward focused and, and kind of on itself, but that it would have a vision for the people and the places beyond it, that it would plant churches. But most of all, above all of those things, which are amazing and many of which we've seen happen, we dreamt that this place would feel like home, that it would feel like coming home each time you came through the doors. And if this is your first time here, um, that's all we really hope that you feel as you come in tonight, that you feel at home, like you feel like you could make yourself a home in this place. And twice a year, we come back to these moments where we remind ourselves who we are and what our purpose is. We look again at our vision and our purpose. And last week, I spoke about the first part of our vision, to love Jesus. What does it mean to love Jesus with all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our minds and all of our strength? And today, I want to look at the second part of that vision statement, to love Jesus and then transform Exeter. 
That's our purpose. That's our reason for being. That's our vision. And God is in the business of transformation. It's what he does. God takes old things and he remakes them and he renews them. He takes broken situations and he reforms them. The Bible is full of ordinary people whose stories are somehow caught up in the story of God and extraordinary things happen around them as God is at work in them. And today I want to look back at just one of those little encounters. It's this encounter between Jesus and a man called Saul. Uh, This is a moment when Jesus encounters Saul on the road to a city called Damascus, a city that still exists to this day. And Saul's life was never the same again. In this one encounter with Jesus, everything changed. It had such a profound impact on his life that the, the people he then spoke to, the places that he went, became the foundations of the church that we know today. So if you've got your Bible with you, um, either turn to the page, um, Acts chapter 9, or, or um, turn on your Bible, unlock it, and Google um, Acts chapter 9. We're going to start at verse 1. And just while you're doing that, I'm going to set the scene for this passage. See, Saul is not a nice guy. In fact, he's one of the worst people that you can imagine. Um, he's a zealot a man passionate about religion and he's part of a particular religious sect called the Pharisees. And he's particularly passionate about strict obedience to the religious laws of the day, that everyone should follow and act and behave in a certain way. And he desperately wants to stamp out this new movement, this new group of people who call themselves the way. And he wants to stamp them out because they're followers, not of the God that he understands, but of a man named Jesus of Nazareth. And it's likely that Saul had been so successful in persecuting and criticising and arresting Christians, followers of Jesus, that he'd gained a reputation as one of the most dangerous and unpredictable people in Jerusalem for the early church. And in Acts chapter 9, where we're going to read from now, we hear about what happens to him next. It says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but didn't see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias, Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he does to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to the house and entered it. 
Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Let's take a moment to pray that Jesus would speak to us through these words God, I thank you that you spoke to Saul on the road to Damascus. I thank you that you called Ananias out of uh, the circumstances that he was in and you gave him a purpose in life. I thank you that you want to speak to us today. And I pray that you would through these verses in Jesus' name. Amen. Who here drives? Who drives a car? Yeah, like loads of you are drivers. You know the experience then of getting up on a cold winter morning when you need to drive to work or get somewhere quite urgently, going out of the house and discovering that every single one of your windows and your windscreen are covered in a thick layer of ice. Anyone had that experience? And it, it invariably happens on the days when you're the busiest and you, and you most need to get to work on time or you most need to get to that appointment. And so I don't know if you're anything like me, I'm never prepared. No matter how I know that it's going to come around every single winter, I'm never ready for that moment. And so I go outside, I realise that the, the windscreen and the windows are all covered in a thick layer of frost and I begin searching desperately for something to scrape away the ice. I've used loyalty cards, I've used pieces of cardboard, like I've used old CDs from my car that are lying around. I've used anything to scrape it off. But you discover pretty quickly that that takes ages and it's slow and your hand gets cold. And they tell you that the best way to defrost your car is to sit inside it with the door closed and start the engine and allow the heat to just melt it off the outside. And on one frosty morning growing up where I did in Shropshire, I went out um, soon after I'd passed my test and I found myself in that situation and everything I tried to scrape away the ice to get me to work on time wasn't going to happen. I tried everything, even the Daniel Beddingfield CD that was still for some reason hanging around in my car. I tried to scrape away the ice and eventually took the advice, turned on the engine, sat inside and waited for it to defrost. And I thought, I'm going to be late for work. This is a nightmare. My boss is going to shout at me. I'm going to lose money. And so um, eventually this small kind of slither of clear windscreen appeared at the bottom of the windscreen. You know what it is? It like begins from the bottom up, doesn't it? And to begin with, you can just see out of that crack at the bottom. And as I looked through it, I was like, that'll do. I can drive with that. That's going to be fine. Like what could possibly go wrong? And so I'm like crouching down behind the steering wheel and looking through this tiny slither of the window where I could just about see the road in front of me. And I thought, well, I'm going to be late. I'm going to lose money. I've got to go. And so I start driving down the road. And you might think I would drive cautiously in that situation, but for some reason I didn't. And I was driving down the road in this country lane at about 30 miles an hour. And suddenly I went over the crest of a hill and there was a blinding light. And it wasn't Jesus appearing to me on the road to work. It was the blinding light of the sun as it rises in the morning. And suddenly, not only was that slither of light the only thing that I could see through, I was also completely blinded. I couldn't see anything in front of me as the light was caught by the frost on the windscreen. And I'm like driving along, trying to see where I'm going, driving along at 30 miles an hour with like no idea what's in front of me at this point, driving by faith, I guess. And suddenly I see a car coming the other direction and I slammed on my brakes and I screeched to a halt and to avoid uh, crashing into him, I kind of swerved sideways slightly into a hedge where I scraped up the side of my car and then I told my mum it was my sister who did that um, and uh, came to a halt just at the last minute while this farmer uh, who was driving as well um, shared some of his thoughts with me, which I can't repeat in church because they weren't very polite. You know, when I imagine 
Jesus' encounter with Saul on the road to Damascus. In my mind, it was a bit like that. I was on a personal mission to go and get something done. I had a journey that I needed to go on to get something done. Saul was on his way on this personal mission to persecute and arrest the followers of Jesus in another city. And he'd become so focused on this vision, on this mission in front of him that he'd become blinkered to what God really wanted to do. And suddenly he's confronted by a blinding light and he falls to the ground. And rather than hearing some angry farmer telling him uh, what he thinks of him, what kind of burke he was for driving without defrosting his car, he hears the voice of Jesus. This is a dramatic moment. He doesn't see the person speaking, but, but all of the rest of his staff and his servants who are with him, they hear, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And, and Saul's obviously shocked. Who are you? He asks, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what to do. And before Saul works out what's happening around him, he he discovers that his eyesight has gone, that he's now blind. The same man who's made murderous threats and has intentions to arrest Christians in the city of Damascus is now completely helpless and and completely stuck. His, His own vision gone. In an instant, the vision that he has for the city of Damascus and the Christians there, the vision that he has for his own life, even his physical vision are gone. And he has to be led by the hand, uh, by his servants into the city in front of him. And, and maybe like me, when you read this, you think, well, maybe he kind of deserves that. You know, this is a guy who was intending to murder people. This is a guy who was intending to persecute people who'd done nothing except follow Jesus. Maybe God should have just left him where he was, vulnerable and afraid and trapped. But that's not how God works. Our mistakes and our wrongdoing and our failures are things that God can use to bring about his plans and his purposes. Because into Saul's life, walks a man called Ananias. That name, Ananias, it literally means God has been gracious. And I think that Ananias is probably one of the most unsung heroes of the Bible. He's one of the most forgotten footnotes in the history of the church. He's rarely talked about or remembered. In fact, these verses are really the only only description of the kind of person that he was. All we know is that Ananias was willing to do what God asked him to do. He was a man with a vision that was greater than his own life. And when God called him to go, he went. And sure, he was afraid. He was uncomfortable. He knew that that Paul was planning to murder and arrest Christians. He knew what was on the line. He knew that his life might be lost in this process. He knew that his family and his children might be persecuted as a result of this decision. But Ananias says yes to God. And as a result, Saul's life is never the same again. See, Saul would go on to become a man called Paul, one of the most influential people in Christian history. He wrote much much of, most of and much of combined, much of the New Testament. (laughs) He wrote most of the New Testament. He planted and led churches. He went to over 50 different places and proclaimed the story of Jesus in Europe and Asia and the Middle East. He would uh, establish a legacy which would become the foundation of the churches that we have today. And none of that would have happened had God not worked in his life through a man called Ananias. 
You know, sometimes I wonder if we don't realise that God is looking for people like Ananias. He's looking for ordinary people who will answer his call and say yes. He's looking for people who'll say yes to him in the face of their, their fears and their, and their hesitation to say yes to him. People who God can use to transform the lives of the people around them. People who bring vision. People who bring vision. See, we can't all be Saul, but we can all be Ananias. We all have the opportunity to say yes to God. There are people who we meet every day in whatever walk of life we find ourselves in who we can love and we can pray for and we can serve because every single encounter that they have with Jesus has the possibility for transformation. Every encounter brings the possibility that we might see ourselves differently, that we might see our workplaces and our classes and our lecture halls and our houses differently. Every time and everywhere Jesus shows up, transformation happens. It happened for Saul on the road to Damascus. It happens for us when we gather here on a Sunday, but it can happen out there as well. It can happen in the places where we spend most of our time. And as a church, we get to play our part in that transformation. That's what excites me most about being the church. We get to play our part in making Jesus known in the city around us. Do you know that in here on a Tuesday in the morning, it's a kind of chaos because over a hundred parents and their toddlers come in here and they bounce around and they jump around. And for some of them, it's the first time they've ever walked through the doors of a church before. For some of them, they've never um, even thought about the Christian faith. And we get this opportunity to host them and to welcome them and to give them an encounter with Jesus in this place. Did you know that on Wednesday right now at Alpha, we've got over 30 people coming along and, and eating dinner and watching a film and having a discussion and, and asking the big questions of life and faith and meaning and, and discovering Jesus for themselves. Do you know that in here on a Thursday, we have our students, we love students, don't we? Any students in the house and our youth who gather here and, and there's over 50 of them gathered as they come here and they, and they get sharpened and encouraged and equipped to live this radical Jesus-centered life. Do you know that although we're gathered here right now in this building, that down the hill in the other forgotten part of the city, a little area called Exwick, we have the opportunity to take a church that might otherwise close and see its doors flung open wide, that the people of that area might hear and know Jesus for themselves. We get to play our part in bringing the vision of Jesus that we have into the lives of others because God is in the business of transformation and he wants us to be a part of it. It's crazy when you think about it that God wants us to be a part of it. He wants us to be Ananias in the lives of others. And I love all the stuff we do as a church. I, I love our Sunday gatherings. I love our Alpha nights. I love our student nights. I love our, our polo toddler group and all the other crazy things that we do. But what excites me most, what gets me going, what, what I, I long to see more of in our church are the things that you do, the places that you go, the people that you spend your time with. Because I'm convinced that God has put you in the flat or in the house or in the family or in the workplace or in the friendship circle that you are in because he wants you to play a part in its transformation too. See, that conversation that you have with the friend late at night who's struggling has the potential for Jesus. 
that co-worker that you pray for because they're in pain, that has the potential to be an encounter with Jesus. That person who starts a conversation with you in a coffee shop, maybe because they notice that there's something different about you or the way you carry yourself or that friend who, who questions why when, when troubles come, you turn to someone higher than yourself has the potential to be an encounter with Jesus. Ananias says this to Paul, he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, you and I, we've been sent, we've been called, we've been put where we are Monday to Saturday so that other people might see a vision of Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's called us to go and to, to do that and to be that. The, the faith of Ananias in Damascus meant that, that Saul almost immediately began to start preaching in the areas around him. In fact, he got up in Damascus and he began preaching about Jesus. And then he went to the next city and he spoke about Jesus. And he went to the next place and he spoke about Jesus. And before you knew it, there were over 50 cities who'd never heard about Jesus before that got to hear about Jesus because of the faith of who? Ananias. Ananias who said yes to God. See, I'm convinced that God's put us here in this little area of Exeter called Newtown and he's put us in Exwick, that um, suburb on the north side of the city because he's positioned us to see Jesus transform these places. He wants us to be Ananias here, that they would become places that are known for his peace and his power. But to be totally honest with you, I don't think that's it all. I think there's more than that that he's called us to do. In fact, I made a few little maps for you. Here's the first map that shows uh, where we are in Exeter now. You see the dot in the middle closest, that's where we are right now, and then Exwick up on the north side of the city. You see those places. We have the opportunity to bring transformation to those areas. But actually, we're dreaming of churches far beyond that. Can I have the next map? We're dreaming of churches in places where otherwise Jesus might not be known or proclaimed. We're dreaming of starting churches. I put the pins just, just as an illustration. There's nothing happening yet. But just as an illustration to see what God might do with our faith as we step out and say yes to him. I've got another map for you because I'm dreaming bigger than that. Somebody pointed out that one of these is in the sea. Uh, that one's going to be on a boat. Um, but God's called us to have a vision to see the church in these places not be silent and secret, but the church become everything he's called it to be. Why? So that the people who live in those places might have an encounter with Jesus and experience a transformation and never be the same again. We're dreaming of planting churches right across Devon so that the 98% of people who don't know that God knows them and loves them might have the opportunity to encounter him for themselves. That's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why we're planting churches. That's why we're raising up the next generation. That's why we're gathering together on Sundays to worship and to pray and to cry out for the kingdom to come because we long to see Jesus known in cities and towns right across this place. But don't forget that Jesus wants you. He actually doesn't want a big strategy or a big plan, no matter how many I come up with. What he wants is you. He wants me. He wants Ananias to say yes to his call, to say yes to his plan, to say yes and step out in faith even above our fears and our apprehensions and say, yes, I will go that they might see again 
and receive the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to pray that for us now, if that's all right. Would you stand with me? I said this this morning as well. My sense is that sometimes we come to church and, and we pray for the things that are on our hearts, the things maybe that we're struggling with or the things that we need God's help with. But today I want to flip, turn that upside down to quote the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And I want us to ask God, where is he sending us? Where is he calling us to go and to be that Jesus might be known in those places? And I just invite you to close your eyes for a second. We're going to pray a bold prayer. Lord, would you see our hearts? Would you see our willingness to go? And would you call us? Even right now, I pray that you might help us to see the places that you've put us on Monday morning at 9 a.m. in work, in uni, at college, in in a family, caring for someone else. You, you might help us to see the places where you've put us, Lord, not just as accidental things, but as opportunities to proclaim who you are, what you've done, and the power of your spirit. And I think there are people here today and, and you don't know the power of the, the place that God's called you to be right now. You think that you're just an ordinary person. You think you're just getting on with life and contributing a little bit on the margins and God's calling you this evening. He's calling you to see the, the place and the people in front of you differently with new eyes, to have new vision for it. And there are some people I think and you're called to go to new places that you haven't gone to before and that scares you, but God's calling you to do it. There are people, I think, and you are right where you should be. You're in that company where you're positioned to change the culture by loving people unconditionally as Jesus did. I think there are people here today and, and God just, he wants to call you and commission you to have a new vision for your life. So I'm gonna do something a bit bold in a minute. I'm gonna ask Anyone who feels that way just has that sense of like God's calling me to do something, to go somewhere, to, to be someone, to proclaim who he is, just to raise a hand really boldly. And then we're going we're gonna to gather around, we're going to pray for each other, and then we're going to respond in worship. Is that all right? Okay. Who's that? Who's in this room tonight and you, just, you know that God's called you to a particular place? Might be no one at all, that's absolutely fine, but I think there are a few people. And like you know that God's called you, yeah, there's a few hands I see up around. Um, if you're in that position just raise a hand up if you see somebody with their hand up around them would you just maybe turn and, and ask them if you can rest a hand on their shoulder and just pray that God would um, encourage them and equip them and fill them with his spirit I think there are a few more there are some people in like you're like oh, I don't know why he's put me where he's put me I'm confused by the current place that I'm in and, and God's actually he's, he's doing something in you he's calling you to be an Ananias in that situation because through you he's going to bring vision to someone else's life anyone else in that position I imagine that when Ananias heard the voice of God saying will you go to this man who's a murderer who persecutes people, who oppresses people, would have taken 
every bit of courage and strength that he had to open the door, to walk down the street, to go to the house where Saul was and to say, I'm going to pray for you. And again, I could be wrong, but I I think there are people here. God's called you and he's, he's positioned you where you are because he has a vision for your life beyond the vision that you have. He doesn't just want you to be this comfortable, safe existence. He, he, he made you for more than that. And if that's you, um, there's a few of us who pray and we're going to kind of hover down the front here and we're not going to pray anything kind of weird. We're not going to delve into loads of situations. But if that's you, I invite you to come forward and, and get prayed for tonight. If you can't get prayed for in church, where can you get prayed for? This is a good place. And so um, if you want to be prayed for, come and get prayed for tonight.